I am very excited and delighted to tell you that your chronic illness ally is once again enrolling. If you're new around here, your chronic illness ally is the supportive home, the program, the community and the coaching space for you to learn how to reframe the role that your chronic illness plays in your life. It guides you off of that conveyor belt of constantly trying to fix and heal your chronic illness and teaches you how to tap into the wisdom of your body that's being communicated via your chronic illness so that you can channel it, channel that wisdom, channel that intelligence into living the big, beautiful life you dream about. If you enjoy this podcast, you will certainly love your chronic illness ally. There is a link to it in the show notes, but let me tell you, the funnest way to learn more about it is to do my quiz. And once you've done that, pop your email in at the end to learn more. And then sit back as I help you explore your unique support style, which will help you make an informed choice about whether your chronic illness ally is a hell yes fit for you. Today I'm speaking with Shana Pereira and this conversation has got the most wonderful underlying message. Shana is what you would call a thieving double organ recipient, having had a heart and kidney transplant during Christmas of 2020. She is described as a walking miracle and an answered prayer and has spread inspiration and hope, particularly with the way she handled her illness and physical struggles. The underlying message came from Shana's story. It's something that is present in us all and it is there even if you don't realise it. We don't often connect living with chronic illness with having big dreams and big desires, right? And yet it's something most of us do and put into action daily. All the time we're on that path, working towards a life that feels better, that feels more easeful, more joyful. We are building a skill that we can then go on to use throughout the rest of life. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Shana mentions a few times that she is quote-unquote nothing special, that she wasn't born stronger or more determined or more resilient, and that what she has been able to do since having her transplants, anyone can do that. Anyone can handle the way she has handled her health, health struggles. And it is true Because none of us is more special than the next person. And yet we are all completely, uniquely, wonderfully special, right? We all have that inner strength and resilience and determination and desire. And we are already using it every single day. So what I would love you to think about sometime during this episode, after this episode, whenever, is how else could you use all of that inner brilliance. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I did and all of Shana's links will be in the show notes. Being um, diagnosed with something like kidney failure brought a level of silence that amplified my ability to hear my body, amplified my ability to hear what was happening around me and to Mm -hmm. be able to evaluate that. And now even past that, it's a practice that I've taken with me because it truly does give you your North Star. 
welcome to the Reframing Chronic Illness podcast with me, Alana Holloway. The place where you get to see your chronic illness in a different light, where you get to call on its wisdom and intelligence to help you feel how you want to feel, be how you want to be and live how you want to live. Where all of who you are is embraced and celebrated, chronic illness included. I am so happy that you're here. So Shana, I'd love to hear more about how your life experience and how your um, health story led to you coming, you know, realising that you needed to form a, a medical team, a health team, a healing team that really worked for you, that felt, you know, proactive and well kind of curated yeah that's a really wonderful word for Alana curated I my kidneys failed Christmas Eve 2020 and my accent is Australian sorry Christmas Eve 2015 (laughs) my accent's Australian because I was born in Australia and I'd gone home for Christmas to celebrate the fact that I'd been living in the U.S. for 10 plus years and I'd accomplished a lot in my career and all of the, you know, the things we think are important in the sense of my successes, quote unquote. And um, Christmas Eve 2015, I started to feel really sick and I found out in Australia that my kidneys were failing. And so um, that led me to coming back to the US in a country that wasn't my the country that I was born in, having to figure out a medical system that can be quite complex with insurances and and things like that, and having to be at a level of vulnerability that I wasn't accustomed to, used to, comfortable in, wasn't interested in even, didn't like it, (laughs) all of those things. And so for me, um, where I started was to really dig deep on why didn't I like doctors in the first place and what Mm. didn't I like about them? And I got to really specific things like I hate the way the doctor's office smells. So the instant I would walk into a doctor's office, it already had me feeling completely uncomfortable, just the smell. Mm. I didn't like um, the current doctor that I had, I didn't like the area that they were in. And it felt like I had to go to that doctor. And it felt like all doctors are like this. Yeah. And so when I was able to really dig into what was it that I didn't like that didn't make me feel really comfortable and genuinely at peace. And I got that I that actually could be an experience that I could have. I actually could feel comfortable in a doctor's office and I could feel connected and I could have doctors that I was looking forward to seeing. Mm. That's when I started to look for doctors in a different way. I started and I, I looked at it through my um, executive training, through the lens of, of interviewing, hiring and firing mm-hmm. and that perspective which a lot of the times, as you know, we don't think that as normal people that we can actually say to our doctor, I don't like you and (laughs) I don't like the way in which you practice medicine and you're fired off of my team. Yeah. And I really got the fact that I would need a team of specialists and that they were part of what I call my healing team in the sense of the same way as my personal trainer might be or my gym membership is or my grocery store is, right? Like all the different areas that take part in 360-degree view of how we care for ourselves, Mm -hmm. our hairdresser, you know, all of the things. And so I started to think of it like that as the first couple of steps. So when you approached in this way where were you with your health was it at that point of your kidneys failing or was this before or after you started to have this realization of hey actually I can 
choose, I can choose this, uh, you know, my team? No, it was after my kidneys had failed. Yeah. So at that point, my kidneys were at 20%. Yeah. And I'd come back to Los Angeles and I, I don't have any family here. And like I said, I wasn't born here. So I'd come back to Los Angeles and I thought, I had a stack of paperwork from Australia. Yeah. And I had to build a team from scratch. Like I had to start all the way from a general practitioner all the way through to a kidney specialist. Yeah. The reason I asked that is because I was trying to picture where you would have been in kind of a a version of yourself, you know, the energy you would have had the confidence you would have had all of those things that on kind of your more typical level of functioning wouldn't have come into question but here you were trying to build a team and advocate for yourself when you were probably at a really really low ebb and that is something that I think a lot of people listening or probably every person listening will be able to relate to because we only realize we can actually choose our teams, our healing teams, our medical teams, or the people that we want to um, employ, right? Or bring on um, as a part of of supporting us and helping us to feel better. um, When it is at a point when we've realized we're unhappy and, and, and that's usually through things not going right. How did you find the strength? That's a really great question. What I learned in those moments is when we go through something difficult, we go through a crisis, the strength is actually already in us. Mm -hmm. And we already know what there is to do. You know, a a lot of the sayings in the world um, the cliche one-liners are, you know, tough things make you stronger. And <laughs> when you go through things, they make you stronger. I actually believe it's a little bit opposite because in my example, once my kidneys failed, I was already in it. So whatever I thought I needed to learn at that point, it was kind of too late because it was like, that day I'd have to make life-saving decisions or that day I had to pick a doctor. And so I removed the vocabulary from my own psyche and verbiage of labeling it anything. And I realized very quickly that no matter how I felt, there was still actions I could take. And I broke down those actions into very specific steps. Like, I feel tired, could live separately too, and I have to make these phone calls. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go, okay, not how about not these phone calls, maybe just the next one. And then see how I feel after that. And yeah. it's kind of been able to separate it's almost like separating to integrate, separating my feelings to process how I was feeling that day, but then being able to integrate it and go, but there's a lot of times where I feel tired and I do things. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of times when I feel super vulnerable and I feel really, really sad, but I also can still do grocery shopping at the same time. So I started to kind of go, look, I can do this. It's hard. It's not to invalidate the strength it actually took, really. But it was there was a possibility that it could be done. And I just started to look at it like that and take just the next action item without thinking too far ahead. Just the next thing. I just let's just make the one phone call, hang up, and then go from there. And it really ended up giving me the practice of being present, Mm -hmm. like just right in that five minutes, what do I have to do? 
could be even be 30 seconds. You know, sometimes putting an IV in would be the most painful thing. And I just think to myself, okay, 30 seconds, you're just going to embrace the pain of this IV and soak it up because it's not going to be like that forever. It's only 30 seconds. And so that's that was the approach that I would take. I don't, I think the biggest thing to take from it though was at least again, in my experience, I found that the strength was already there. I just had to know that. I had to believe that and know that and then tap into it in different moments. But just for that moment sometimes, sometimes all I could do was two minutes. Yeah. And take a breath and go, okay, hated that two minutes, but (laughs) we did it. What's the next five minutes going to be like? You know, just the the little chunk of time. Sometimes it's all I could stomach. I mean, that's incredible for a start, but I I also relate it to, or and I relate it to, um, things that we do, you know, like, that again another cliche oh I don't want to exercise all you need to do is put on your trainers right it's like just take that first step and I'm interested by what you said about you stopped um right at the beginning you said um something like I stopped putting labels to things and you used the example of being tired is that in that you stop putting a label to it saying I'm tired because my body is type situation. Exactly. exactly. And I also stopped um, saying it's hard or it's not hard or, you know, whatever it was, because it was stuff I had to do. Yeah. I just knew like, I've got to get this done. Like it, I have to find a doctor that I feel good about because that's just not going to work for me not to, or I have to eat lunch. That's just a thing. Like you just have to do it. Yeah. You know, kind of not really an option when I'm already sick to not to not have lunch right so it would be I would just remove the descriptors yeah and kind of own the moment of like okay and and again it's not to invalidate the way that I felt like I felt tired I would say I feel tired but I wouldn't make it any more than that I wouldn't put all the extra parts on it that would then have me go but this, 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 and I still have to, you know, by the time you've rattled the list of reasons off behind it, yeah, everything feels way harder to do. And it's really easy to get into that kind of um, like a hole, a bit of a pit, isn't it? And 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 feel like, oh, all of a sudden now I feel like I can't do anything. Right. Now I just want to sleep or stay in bed. And I'm very validated about that, that I can. Yes. And you know, some days where I did, where I just thought, no, I don't, I don't want to, I hate this. It's unfair. It sucks. Why do I have to be going through it? And no, I don't want to make phone calls. And no, I don't want to find a doctor and I don't want to do anything. And Mm. those days I would embrace it. Like if I'm going to stay in bed, I'm going to do an amazing job of it, you know, like I'm actually going to like really sleep or really hang out in bed. Like I'm not doing anything today. And again, it it became the real mastery of being present. It's one of the things that I've taken from that experience and continue to do in life where if I'm going to do something, I do it fully, even if that means I'm going to, you know, trash TV for all day then I'm going to do it to a thousand percent and just own it if that's the way I'm really feeling. So it, it, it's a, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy journey, but it's very doable. Like I really want, it's one of the things that I really hope that people hear in my sharing is that there's nothing special about me inside of that. I wasn't born stronger than most or, you know, I didn't have like, a really strong mental this and that other than to say I just broke, I just used little tools. Like I broke it down to be able to be palatable for me. That's beautiful to hear you say that, you know, I'm not stronger than most. I don't have some magical, you know, whatever anybody can, can do that. And the thing for me in, in, your description of you know fully embracing it's that idea of choice and and knowing that you do have the choice because yeah I you know 
like you, if I'm going to lay in bed and binge watch whatever and eat whatever and, you know, just have, I'm going to make a party of it, right? I'm going to, it's going to be the most indulgent thing I do. And, but I know that, I know that I love doing that, but I also know that in the bigger picture of my life, I choose not to do that every day. Exactly. Because there's other things you like to do as well, right? Like there's other days you want to feel a different way. Yeah. And this idea that of um I've been working with recently, the I idea of that of that inner desire and that inner kind of um uh I, t- I don't know what to call it other than desire, but connecting with that and and knowing that that desire, whatever you desire, is still possible possible for you, a person living with health challenges and chronic illness and whatever, that is still possible for you. And then what choices are you going to make? Be it phoning that first, you know, uh, kidney specialist or doctor or GP or whatever, or be it staying in bed or be it going out for a walk or do whatever, you know, that, that choice that I make is going to take me closer to that thing that I desire right in my heart. Yeah. The times in which I didn't have a choice right? At the times in which I knew like, no, you have to walk today. Yeah. And everything in my body is burning and hurts. And like, I can't, you know, put any kind of spin on it to make myself feel better about it. Mm -hmm. I would choose how fun I was going to make it. Right. Then I would choose like, okay, if I have to be in hospital on Christmas Eve, we're going to at least have a laugh here, damn it. You know, <laughs> like, this is happening. Yeah. Right? And it would be as simple as saying to the nurse, do you have a boyfriend? Are you in a relationship? You got any relationship drama that could be fun for us to talk oh, about? Drama. <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. It, and the, every yeah. single one would go, oh, let me tell you about this. Yeah, what would you do? And we would just connect as human beings. You know, I feel like that sort of drama, you, everyone has a version. Yeah. And we would connect as humans and all of a sudden we'd be having a great chat and a laugh in a circumstance where you wouldn't normally expect it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I dealt with it when, like I say, when I, I knew I, like I need to do this and it's going to be painful and my whole body hurts. And everything in me is saying, don't do it. It's dangerous for you. You know, mentally, right? Our brain yeah, is yeah, like, yeah. Oh, like your legs are hurting and you want to go for a walk. That's crazy. But I knew that that's what the healing process was on the other side of that was what I needed. That's how I would get over that would be, how do I, if I have to do this, how do I make it fun or enjoyable or you know, something that gives it something for me to like at least have a chuckle about as I'm doing it. And then the next time, yeah, you you think about that chuckle, right? And you're thinking, yeah, it's painful, but also. Exactly. And it could be something silly like, you know, wearing something where you thought this looks ridiculous, but this is what I'm walking in and I'm going to own it or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that is, just the, the smallest of reprieve from it would really help. So I would choose in that moment still having a choice or creating a choice for myself in a situation where, as you know, with the chronic illness, a lot of the times you don't feel like you have a choice. A lot of the stuff is like I have to do this and it sucks. Dialysis was a good example where I would go in And I was on dialysis for four and a half years. And the first year was in center, which was horrible for me. I'm a germaphobe. Mm. I, I, that was just the, the cusp of it. Like I just, I couldn't do it. And so what I did was I got myself a beach bag. I got new flip flops. I got a, a maxi dress. That just sat just right. So the opening of where the two was was, you know, perfect, but it looked amazing. And I'd walk in with sunglasses like I was going to the beach. 
to where even the doctor was like, why are you the hottest dialysis patient in here? Like, I've never seen someone come in so glamorous, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> I would just punk myself to go, no, if I'm going to be here on a Saturday morning, I'm going to do it properly, you know? Yeah. Then those dresses were the only things I would wear to dialysis. And that blanket was like only used for dialysis. The bag was only used in that scenario. And then I would leave it in the trunk. And so I would like put it away for the rest of the time, kind of like beach day. You go to the beach, you put everything away, and then you know you're going to go back next weekend or whatever. So I would ma- I would do little rituals like that that just made it a little bit more entertaining for myself, yeah. even if the reality was it wasn't. Something I talk a lot about is is um, the idea of living a chronic illness-informed life. And what I mean by that is um, that we uh, approach or we give or we see, receive. And, and that's kind of like um, a question we might ask ourselves, like how do we do this in a more chronic illness-informed way, for example? Um, something that people fear when they think about that is that it will take over that means that they are giving their chronic illness permission to to bleed into absolutely everything in life um and hearing about you putting your dialysis you know kit gear dress whatever you want to call it into into the um uh, trunk or boot of your car um and segregating it almost is i i think is um so important and it's also for me this is a really round question but for me that is what um getting support in something or facing something or you know really understanding something allows you to do it allows you to um put it away get it out for when it needs to come out and then put it away for when you want to immerse yourself in the rest of your life, you know, and not have it consume you. Did did that kind of action give that to you? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because mm. it allowed me to feel like, I, I would say to all the doctors as an example, I'm not a patient. Don't get used to seeing me here. I'm not going to be here forever. Mm-hmm just an experience that I'm going through and you're going through. You happen to be the medical professional. I happen to be the body professional. And I'll tell you what's (laughs) going on with my body. We work it out together. You tell me the medical version of how we fix it, right? And so um, small actions like that, to your point, really gave me the ability to be present in the rest of my life Yes. Not to say that the pain wasn't there consistently um, or, you know, the notion of the things I had to do wasn't there, but it definitely allowed me to be fully present. And I feel like the ultimate outcome was that a lot less of my hours and minutes were robbed with thinking about and worrying about dialysis and being reminded that. I was on it and needed it and going to it and going to go again and, you know, all the things and I felt sick from it and I might feel sick again the next day. Like that kind of thought process, it diminished because I wasn't, there wasn't a physical representation of it with me at all times and it Mm -hmm. was separated away. So at the very least, I think it diminished the amount of um, thought process and inner conversation and dialogue that I had about it because I wasn't staring at something that would remind me every day that I had to go back. Yeah, which is really interesting because, um, so my chronic illness is eczema and I've had points in my life when it's literally covered me head to toe and I've not recognised myself. And so it has been a very constant reminder of something. But I'm just trying to think, you know, when it has been like that and, and I have been trying to not make it all that my life is about, trying to be present in the rest of my life. You know, a lot of that has come from acceptance and an acceptance of my looks, you know, my very physical appearance. 
um, as it is at any point. Um, and I think, you know, I don't really know what I'm trying to say here, but I think what I'm trying to say is that, yes, it's it's really great to be able to segregate when you don't have that kind of visual, physical reminder, but also there is a way to to kind of compartmentalize or or whatever you want to um, think of it as when there is a physical, visible, constant reminder. Um, in the, the, as I'm listening to you speak, I'm I'm really thinking how um, wonderful like this team that you formed sounds also you said you know I'm not a patient you are the medical expert and I am the body expert and that is I mean for me that's the future of how we go about um I don't like to say the phrase dealing with but dealing with chronic illness in the world right it's it's like bigger than it's ever been and and the medical system is struggling and as a result, the people living with chronic illness are struggling, but there's still this real hierarchy that exists between patient and and doctor. Did you come across any resistance when you kind of approached it in this way? You know, I am my body expert and you are the medical expert. Now let's see what we can do together. Absolutely, I did. Some from the top doctors in their field. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care. It didn't matter to me if you were the top nephrologist of all of the world. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you and I didn't connect on that level, you weren't on my healing team. Yeah. On to the next. Yeah. And I had some really core cool principles because there are doctors who are like that. There are doctors who do feel that way. There are doctors who really believe in the medical approach. Obviously, they've devoted their life to being a doctor, mm -hmm. but they also believe that there are other things like vitamins and nutrients and the way you eat that do contribute, and they will check on those things with yeah. you. There are doctors that will say, you know what, there's this medication for XYZ chronic illness, but I tell you, if you're on an anti-inflammatory diet, 
this whole thing becomes a lot easier to manage. There are doctors that are like that. Yeah. And that's the one thing that, you know, really believing that, yes, there are generalizations around the service and, yes, that they're very real, but how many doctors do you need? Like you only need one, maybe two, maybe even five, right, that are all specialists in their field. Mm -hmm. You can find them. It takes effort and you've got to dig in, but it exists. And so for me, what that looked like was there were doctors that were top nephrologists, famous, renowned in the world, however many surgeries they'd done in kidney transplant, and that I would look for words like, I put this medication with all of my clients. I would notice behaviours like they had to, they didn't remember my name. Mm. That there was an energy about them that just showed that they were rushing Mm -hmm. or moving quickly or too quickly for my comfort. You know, um, some doctors where uh, here in the US where the nurses would do a whole bunch of the prep and then you're seeing the doctor only for a couple minutes. Yeah. Not a bad thing. The nurses are amazing. But I really also got that's two different disciplines, nursing and doctoring, two different disciplines that come together as a group, right? So for me, if it's too much of one or the other, it's out of balance. So I would look for those small notions. And the things that really mattered to me were doctors who had a level of curiosity where they wouldn't be able to sleep unless they solved a problem. Mm-hmm. like any problem. It didn't even have to be medical, like just those that you could tell. And I'm like that where you can just tell when they're into something, they get half obsessed about, I'm going to figure this out no matter what, right? And when we had that same value system, I'd feel comfortable and I'd go, yes. Doctors who um, had a ton of experience, but you'd never know just by meeting them. Mm-hmm. Someone else mm. would say, no, that doctor's done 5,000 heart surgeries. You're like, what? Like, I would never know that. He seems awesome, but I'd never know that he was a big wig. Yeah. Another one. And then the third one for me was, so there was a level of, of humbleness to the mm. way in which they came about. And the third one to me was doctors who believed in something greater than themselves. They had a connection to some kind of higher power that they believed that there are miracles. I've seen the miraculous in medicine happen. I've seen cancer cure for no reason, right? I've seen things that shouldn't make sense medically, but they happen and they still had that belief in miracles. They still had that belief that they weren't God, that there was something else that also would kick in in partnership and doctors that had that faith. And so they were the things that were important to me, but even just taking the time to figure out what was important to me was invaluable. And I now have five, six doctors that all work as a team that all know exactly what's happening with me, that know all of my life, including my dating, including everything, (laughs) and then they know all of it. And I, me for them in the sense of like we're human beings, we're people that are going through this together. And that's what I wanted to feel. I wanted to feel that connection. And so it's out there. You just got to look around for it, but it's out there. And also be bold when everything feels right, looks right on paper, but something in your gut says, ah, I don't think something just doesn't quite feel right. Yeah. Like it looks like it's all going well, but something just doesn't quite feel right. I gave myself permission to listen to those moments and not have to have a reason. Just not have to validate it for any reason other than, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Have you always been this tuned in? Because 
as you know, even from the first thing, one of the first things you said was, you know, the doctors didn't smell right or, um, you know, there's, and now you're talking about it doesn't feel right. I'm a very, I'm hearing you like, this is me. Um, but is it, is it, is this being this tuned in something you've always had or is it something you have developed? Both. Okay. It's also something I believe all of us have, right? Mm-hmm. I think there have been circumstances in my life where I hadn't been tuned in, um, which got me to where my kidneys failed and the doctor said, have you been tired? And I said, yeah, but isn't everybody? Huh. And he said, not really. And he said, does your back hurt? And I said, yeah, but doesn't everybody? So like, I feel huh. like these are normal, right? Are you sleeping well? I'm like, well, yes and no, but isn't that normal too? I just <laughs> So there's definitely been times when I've had the ability to be, but I haven't been. Yeah. Um, and then I think we un- what I've underestimated, I underestimated the amount of communication that my body actually has with me on a regular basis. And I didn't listen. And it would be the smallest of things like I'm hungry. Oh, let me just do three more meetings and I can eat after that. It's only three hours, not that big of a deal. Or I'm thirsty. Well, let me take these two phone calls and then I'll grab a water while I'm on my way to my next meeting, right? Like my body was consistently speaking to me or even like, you know, I'd walk into somewhere and get goosebumps and go, Oh, this doesn't feel like doesn't feel good, but I'm here. So, oh well, let me just be here. And I wouldn't listen. So the mastery in being present, I think, really helped with that. And being um diagnosed with something like kidney failure brought a level of silence that amplified my ability to hear my body, amplified my ability to hear what was happening around me. And to mm-hmm. be able to evaluate that. And now, even past that, it's a practice that I've taken with me because it truly does give you your North Star. If your heart's beating a little too fast in that situation, even though your brain might not have registered it yet, that may be something you want to take a pause and look at. So those are the things that I see now um, that, you know, our body communicates a lot more to us than I think we give it credit for. Absolutely. And, it, it, you know, we have been taught or it is societally acceptable to silence um, what I see as like one of the most important ways of communicating with us our body has. And that is our chronic illness. That is, and before that, leading up to that, right, it's, it's, the, it's the sleep, it's the hunger, it's the tiredness, it's the pain, it's the all these quote unquote normal things. Um, and and, and chronic illness is just um, a very loud expression of all of that. Exactly. And for that, I really see it as a gift in some ways. Me too. That I had to learn. Clearly, I had to learn in this lifetime um, to enhance my ability to be able to know when am I not tuned in and when do I need to take a moment to recenter and rebalance myself? Yeah, me too. Um, we've talked about faith, uh, you know, touched on it a few times, and um, and connection, and and this being tuned in, right? They're all to me. They are all parts of the same thing, um, because I think the only thing that has kept me going. I'm not religious per se, but I, the only thing that has kept me going in the really, really tough times is this faith in something. And I've never really been able to put my finger on what, but this just um, faith in myself to begin with, but also faith that um, I think something you said earlier about, you know, you feeling really um held and supported by the people you have chosen you know it's 
I know that when I, you know, that um, they're not being able to let something go until they've solved it, that you feel, that must feel so like you are held, you are got, someone has got you, right? And and the faith thing, I've always felt that something, someone, some being has got me. And I think that's myself sometimes, and it is myself sometimes. But also I think sometimes it's like, ver- um, pre or future versions of myself. And that sounds totally weird, but. No, not at all. I, I completely understand. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, for me, fast forward into 2020, uh, we we're in the middle of COVID and I finally had a donor who had been approved mm-hmm. to give me her kidney. And I thought, oh, thank God, like they have finally signed her off. It took two years instead of six months to get her cleared. COVID had stuff to do with it. Here in the U.S., kidney transplants are elective surgery. So they were all on hold um, during COVID. Why they're elective, we could have a whole podcast series (laughs) on how I feel about that. Um, but they were on hold. So even labs and things like that were all delayed. But finally, it was August, she got approved. And uh, I had to do a CT scan and a stress test. And mm-hmm. then we could schedule surgery. Well, my CT scan came back that my kidney had 70% chance of being cancerous. Mm-hmm. And I thought the same kidney that you've been looking at for five years. Wow. Now that I finally have a donor, you're telling me that this isn't, now there's a cyst on it that could be cancerous. And I thought, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it for me. Like, these are signs from the higher-ups that I'm not meant to be here. So then... Two days later, my heart doctor called and he said, your heart's at 15%. What happened? And I'm like, I don't know. We we were just looking at it. Like, I don't know. And so for me, I was like, I was for sure going to die. Mm-hmm. And it felt like the movie Final Destination. You know when it's like the car accident doesn't kill you, but then the microwave blows up yeah. and it does. Like. I just thought, I'm done. Like nobody survives all three of these things. That's way too many forks in the road to all go my way, right? So I had nothing but the belief in a higher power. I'm very similar to you. I wouldn't say I was religious at all, Mm -hmm. Um, at all. And At the time, my best friend said, I know exactly how this is going to go. And she just gets this spur in the moment um, download, I guess, or like inspiration where she says, oh, my God, you're going to get your kidney removed on Thanksgiving (laughs) and it's going to be confirmed that it's not cancerous and it's all going to be done and Um, That is you giving your organs out into the universe as a thank you. And then on Christmas, you're going to receive your kidney and heart transplant because at this point now I needed both. So you're going to receive them at Christmas as your gifts and it's going to be a Christmas miracle and we're going to make a Hallmark movie because (laughs) it was on Christmas Eve and now you're Christmas again and you're getting them again. And I thought, well, the movie that I'm in is Final Destination. (laughs) Hers sounds way better because it has like a Christmas miracle at the end, right? So I said, well, I'm going in her movie. So I called the doctors and said, listen, we're making a Christmas movie. So we need to hurry this whole thing up. This is how it's going to go. And I'm going to get my heart and kidney transplant on Christmas Day, on Christmas. And they said, well, it doesn't really work like that, but if anyone can do it, you can manifest it. And so that's what we kind of went with because all I had was a higher power because I really thought I was going to die. 
And so I thought, well, why not? If I'm going to die in the spirit of making everything fun, why not die feeling like it's going to be a Hallmark movie, right? If the ending is already planned out anyway, let's make this middle part, at least to there, feel like, you know, it was fun. So I got admitted into hospital on December 23rd. And at this point, I'd managed to complete all of my clearances. Mm-hmm. Um, they had done my kidney surgery and confirmed it wasn't cancerous. So that had me feel like, okay, well, maybe this is like not that far from the truth. Like it's kind of working in in my favor. Um, they put me on the kidney transplant, on the heart and kidney transplant list on December 24th, Christmas Eve. And my aunt is a Catholic nun. Um, and uh, she had said to me, whether you live or die, either way you're taken care of. So all there really is to do is to ask yourself, what are you going to do with the time that you have on the planet? Mm. And I thought, well, shoot, that's a really good question, right? Like, so on Christmas uh, Eve, she had started sending out notes for people to pray for me. And I'd sent a message on Facebook and thousands of people wrote back uh, saying whatever religion no matter, you know, no matter what you believe in, universe, Gaia, higher power, Buddha, God, whoever, we need all of them. Like yeah. all of them kick in at this point because I'm in hospital and we're praying for a Christmas miracle. And the outpouring was just so overwhelmingly just passionate and energetic and people were like, we're doing it and this is happening and Everyone just, it felt like we all needed it at the end of COVID, right? That year of being on lockdown and couldn't see each other. And, yeah. you know, God forbid you hugged anybody. Like it was a whole thing, right? And so I feel like we all needed a Christmas miracle of sorts. And the next day at 10.30 p.m., they called and said, we have a heart and a kidney for you. And the doctors were shocked, they were like, this normally takes six to eight weeks at the shortest. This is like a true miracle. This never, ever happens. This is not normal at all. Like we can't believe it. And so the next day surgery was set for December 26. And while we were celebrating, the doctors came in, three of them, heart surgeon, cardiologist, and anesthesiologist. They came in probably like three hours before surgery. Mm-hmm. And they came to say hi. They're like, we're going to come back and get you in a minute. We're so excited. This is amazing. You're our Christmas miracles. Unbelievable. And while they're standing there, I flatlined. <gasps> and that's when it became a true miracle of like, if my best friend hadn't have said, we're making a Christmas movie, I might have waited to book an appointment to January. Or I might have said, you know what? I just can't deal with this through the holidays. I'll just pick it all back up in the new year. And we're just going to have a low-key Christmas and, you know, go through it. Like I just may not have done the things I'd done in that particular time frame. And that's when it became really real. Um, When I flatlined, I had what culture calls a near-death experience where I felt first I was falling asleep. And then all of a sudden I was in infinite darkness where it was like dark but black but not black, but you couldn't really turn the lights on and I couldn't see myself as I looked around and I thought, I don't really know where I'm at, but I kind of do, but I'm not sure. And then in that realisation I felt myself go, oh. And as soon as I felt it be like, I know where I am, the scene flipped to like a different environment, I guess, where there was a hallway and a light at the end of the hallway and God and Jesus were standing there. And Jesus was a man, like I could see all of his features, I could pick him out in a lineup. God was more of a a shape, like a figure, um, like a shadowy figure. You couldn't really make out any features or anything. And he speaks to me 
And he says, you are too. Start a church with your best friend, all denominations, not with the intention to convert, but to demonstrate that we are all united simply because we are religious. I never intended religion to divide, only to unite. And during that time, I felt a wave of compassion wash over me. Like if you took all of the people in the world and times it by 10,000, just a wave of compassion for what it is to be human, for everything, all the emotions, everything we go through, the suffering, the pain, the questioning, the insecurities, the joy, the happiness, like all of the range of emotion that we go through as humans and how much it is to handle the compassion of all of that washed over me. And then I came back through the three phases and I was feeling someone trying to wake me up and I thought, who is trying to wake me up? Like, what do they want? Like, what is their problem? And so I opened my eyes and it was the nurse doing CPR. And I said, Margaret, relax. I just took a little nap and I moved her (laughs) off of me. And I sat up and said, guys, where were we? And the doctors have said they've never seen anything like it. They've said when people flatline, they're groggy, they're drowsy, they don't know where they are. They definitely don't have the strength to sit up and talk and say hello and do all of those things. And they for sure don't remember where they left off. And so faith these days is a lot easier for me, having yeah. had that experience. You think? Uh, my One of my friends reminds me that there's a minor detail that's an issue, which is I hate going to church. I can't stand it. So she's like, I don't know how you're the one who's going to start a church. I'm like, me either. But um, it's it's one of it's one of those things where I can't explain what I saw other than to say I was there and it was real and I saw it as much as like me and you were talking right now. But even beyond that, my grandmother has always taught me that what's important is to believe in something greater than yourself. So in the moments in which you really have done everything humanly possible, you know that you're not alone, that there is something else that has you that will kick in, that will kick in, and it's inexplicable. You know, sometimes there's tragedies, sometimes it works out, sometimes there's miracles. I happen to be one that is an answered prayer. Why? I don't know. You know, people ask me, and I, I... I don't know. I don't know why things go one way and not another way, right? Except for the fact that hopefully for whoever is listening, that they know that there is something greater than you that will kick in and will support and does help and does this something that is greater than us that is at work. It's the understanding of that that, We do our best to attempt to understand, but given that it's something greater than humanity, we'll never understand why it does what it does, you know. Mm. But that doesn't deny the fact for me that it's it's there. Yeah. Was compassion something that was missing from your life previous to that? I would say I had a lot of opportunity to be able to exude compassion on a more regular basis with myself especially, but also mm-hmm. as you, as as many of us know, when you don't do it for yourself, you're not definitely not doing it for others. Mm-hmm. Um, the dialogue I think has changed the most, my inner dialogue, and therefore, again, the way I the way that I express to other people has changed, and that was boot camp. <laughs> I had a drill sergeant in my head twenty four seven telling me what I should and shouldn't do, why I should do it, how come I was a loser for not doing it, and I knew better, and scolding and boot camp was 24-7 that would run in my inner dialogue. Yeah. And that's where I think the compassion was most um, was most needed. 
and had the largest opportunity to because I do believe that if you're not doing it for yourself, there's no way that you you could do it for someone else, you know? Yeah. And since your death experience has and, and that and that message that came through, has compassion been something that has has become more easy for you? Have you um yeah, is that boot camp no longer there? Yeah, it's definitely it's it's definitely no longer there. There's a couple of times when it sneaks up mm, where I was able to catch it and go, mm. yeah, it doesn't feel natural anymore. But I think the difference is before it took effort to eliminate it. Like I had tools where I could say, no, that's not the dialogue I want, and da 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 da. Right. Whereas now it's a, it's just me. It's natural, and I think it was always there. It was, there were layers and layers on myself that I had before that had been developed based on cultural circumstances, being an immigrant to the US, um, growing up in the family I grew up in, being surrounded by the people I was surrounded by, nothing wrong with any of it, but just those, those layers that we accumulate as we grow up that the death experience, what it did for me was almost peel it all the way back to me really being reborn mm-hmm. and starting fresh with now as an adult starting fresh and deciding what do I want to collect as opposed to having a bunch of those layers be sort of defaulted based on how I grew up and, you know, came to be, if you will. And so I had the luxury of, of, selecting now and being a lot more selective and discerning about what aspects and elements of culture, for example, I am going to prescribe to intentionally Mm -hmm. as opposed to just it being a default. Thank you. I'm, well, I'm so glad you're here and thank you for being here um, today. I am just like a bit, um, I don't know what the word is, but your story is incredible. And But thank you so much for sharing your story with us all. And I mean, even just from a curiosity perspective to, to know what that's like, but it's just incredible. So thank you so much. Um, a question that you have um, kindly asked everyone listening, uh, as well as me, is how do I deal, how do I deal with fear and anxiety, with situations that I can't control. Um, so for everyone listening, please have a think about Shana's question. I think it's such such a question to actually think about, right? To, to Because when we're in situations that we can't control, we don't know how to deal with it. So to have an idea of how we will um, can be so helpful to us. And how I'm going to reflect it back at you. What would your answer to that be? I'd say by really remembering who I am and remembering that that is literally just a circumstance for that day, that moment, that month, that three minutes, whatever it is, it's like remembering who I am at my core and knowing that it's going to work out. Mm, thank you. That's beautiful. And having that faith that it is going to work out, right? Um, thanks for your wisdom today. Thank you for your time today. Where can people find you? Yeah, thank you. Um, on my website, it's shanapereira.com. And also on Instagram and Facebook, um, you can find me on either one. I share a lot of everything. It's like my whole life versus a curated experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I hope most people get out of that is that I'm a normal person, but there's nothing special about me other than the gift of these tools that have come across my path that I've learned how to use to deal with 
tough situations. And hopefully that, that for anyone listening that feels like they can't get through or they don't know how they're going to, to know that they can because I did and I'm super normal. Like there's nothing, no outstanding IQ or any of that. I'm super normal. Um, I just happened to have been able to pick up some of these tricks to get myself through. Mm -hmm. Well, well, Shannon, thank you. And um, I can't wait to share this with everyone. Thank you so much, Alana. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Bringing on board the right kind of support can be the missing piece of the puzzle that so many of us don't realise we actually need. What would you do if you had the most epic support squad by your side? What would that unleash in you and what would it make possible for you in your life? If you're wondering how to start figuring that out, if you've got no idea where to start, I've got the perfect thing for you. My quiz, are you more Michelle, Gaga or Mindy? And what would their support squad unleash in you is now live. You can find the link to it in the show notes and in the bio. Don't wait another moment. Hop on over to the quiz to find out who you're channeling now.